is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance alongside Johnny Genner. And, and as we're recording this, we're getting ready for the uh, finish to the basketball season, the national championship game, uh, culminating the event that is uh, lovingly known as March Madness. It's not March anymore, but we've you know survived the madness, and here we are. Johnny, before I get your take on the game itself, uh, I want to talk about the women's basketball game for a minute. Oh, yeah. 103% year-over-year increase uh, in the ratings for the women's national championship game between LSU and Iowa uh, is, is women's basketball finally arrived, so to speak in the greater consciousness. Is this a sign that we're just so sports starved that we're lapping up everything ESPN will give us or, or what's afoot here that all of a sudden it feels like this is the year everybody I know was paying attention to the women's uh, NCAA basketball tournament where in years past, Maybe you were paying attention if your team was a force uh, or if you're just a, a fan and of yourself. But like the casual fan was not talking to me about women's college basketball a year or two ago. And this this March, it felt like everybody I knew was talking about Iowa or or LSU or South Carolina or somebody mm-hmm. in the tournament. What what gives? Yeah, I think I mean, and let me say all, this is a good thing. I think this is a wonderful development. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not complaining about it. I'm I, but I'm curious like why this year all of a sudden it, it seems like everybody's tuned in. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of factors. One, you had kind of the uh, you know, the thing with you know Caitlin Clark coming out and just scoring hundred points every game, and that's really exciting and fun. Um Fun fact, Caitlin uh, scored more points in the postseason than the Iowa men's football team scored all season long. I thought that was <laughs> yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, not for Iowa football, but yeah, for Caitlin Clark, extremely <laughs> fun. So I think part of that was you had really great individual performances, not just by her. I mean, there are a lot of people in the tournament that were, were kicking butt and being really fun to watch. I think the women's game has progressed in a lot of ways. I, you know, people sometimes bemoan, you know, the three-point shooting in men's basketball and men's college basketball. But I think, honestly, it's been a boon to women's college basketball. Scoring is up in general. The, you know, the final, obviously, was, you know, you had a team score over 100 points in a women's national championship final. That's pretty entertaining. So I I don't know. I'm glad that it's getting the credit that it deserves because these are some really fun athletes to watch. The games themselves are really intriguing and exciting. And, yeah, I think it's it's 100% earned. So, I think it's awesome, and uh, it's cool now that it's not like something that exists as a sideshow to, you know, March Madness, the men's tournament. Uh, it's something that exists in tandem with it, and that you can enjoy both, and that people can fill out brackets for both. And I don't like more basketball in this kind of format is good basketball, so I'm all about it. I think it's great. Yeah, and there was some really good basketball that was played. Now I, I do want to zoom in because I would be a Horrible excuse for a podcast host if I didn't talk about the game between uh, LSU and Iowa. Iowa, mm-hmm. you know, is is uh, generationally talented as Caitlin Clark is. Um, kind of handed, bench player. Kind of <laughs> got it handed to them. Iowa, yeah. uh, you know, got run over by by LSU. Now, you know, if you watch this game via Twitter. Um, you probably walked away fairly outraged that the refs took over the game. Yeah, that was dumb, uh, especially and, in a national championship game, and especially in the second half like that. That was really frustrating to see. Yeah, very frustrating. Uh, 
<laughs> Mulkey, uh, you know, continued to be uh, a spectacle on the floor as a, mm-hmm. as, as a coach. And, you know, the, the number of Zapparuder films I saw are images of, of her, you know, practically out to the arc. Oh my God. <laughs> on the other side of the court. Like it looked, which, and I think she, I think she's like not a great human being till I have to pay attention to and listen to just very grating and irritating. However, I will say, that any good coach will do that, right? We'll work the refs. We'll get away as much as they can. Look, it's it's holding stuff. in football. You know, you're going to do it as long as you yeah. get away with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dare them to call it every play sort of thing. Right. So I don't, you know, as as an irritating as I find her, I, I think she, you know, did what most coaches should do in that situation. So, I mean, take it, work the refs. If the worst, if the refs are able to get worked, then then you got to work them. And that's, that's what a good coach does in that situation. All right. Now, the biggest controversy to come out of the game, of course, um, uh, was the taunt the taunt heard around the world so stupid um, do you care about that at all like seriously is that i mean look here's here's what i think i'm gonna say as a dad i'm gonna give two different answers one okay. as one as a dad as a private individual and one as somebody who comments and opines uh and they're two different but i don't think mutually exclusive answers uh-huh. as a commentator and an opiner no, I, I don't care at all. You know, Angel Reese, uh, you know, fine. Caitlin Clark's one of the bigger trash talkers out there. She exactly, Re- exactly. Reese, Reese threw her own taunt back in her face. Hey, you know what? Look at the scoreboard. You earned it. Clark didn't even notice or brushed it off in her post game yeah, speech. She was not offended. You know, she uh, took it in stride and, and so on and so forth. What annoys me about it as a commentator is one uh, sports center, I think, is really largely responsible for ESPN in general, responsible for this controversy <clears throat> because they pushed out all of these videos and memes of Reese, you know, doing the taunting. Yeah, I, had, sure. I, I, as a casual fan of the Iowa, I shouldn't say a fan of the Iowa Hawkeyes, but a fan of this tournament who really hadn't paid that much attention to Iowa besides the hype of Clark and how many points he was going. I had no idea that was her regular taunt to other teams that Clark does this regularly. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I wasn't in on the joke. I just saw it and I was like, Oh geez, that Reese, you know, that's kind of spicy to be throwing that down like that in a national title game. That's so, the time you got to do it. No, no, no. What I'm, thing, what, what, what I'm getting is like, because I wasn't in on the joke, like I sort of understood why random people in my Facebook feed were enraged about this because they didn't get it. Like if you knew that Clark does that crap all the time, it's kind of funny that Reese threw it back at her. Right. Like it's, you know, yeah, you got it. You got, got girl. Great. So the the thing that annoys me about it is the manufactured controversy. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that it turns into Stephen A. Smith making a a, a racial issue on Fox sports. And like, I hate everything about that because you had two um, teams that were really good at college basketball. And it was, a, as you noted, an insane game where you have a team scoring 100 points and, and all this sort of thing. Sure. But what everybody was talking about Monday morning was this nonsense about taunting and like it's some big societal uh, commentary thing. And I'm like, I hate that. Well, I understand. Okay, game. here. All right. I'll, I'll give you two takes on this, too. I also do not care at all. Like that's first of all, if you're going to taunt somebody, particularly somebody who talks trash, you do it a national championship game when you just won a national championship. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, who cares about that is I'm sorry, anybody else in any other sport. That's the time you do it. That's the only time really that people are cool that if this were like a regular season game or something, yeah, yeah, that would be ridiculous. But like if you're taunting, 
you're going to do taunt when you've just won a national championship. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Now, now um, I will say the other part of my thing, and I, I got distracted. My, my part of this is a dad. Yeah. Uh, I would be telling my daughter individually, if we were watching this, I would be saying, if you ever behave like that on the basketball court, I will paddle your ass all the way home <laughs> and you won't sit down for a week. Cause that's what my old men would have given me. Sure. Like if I had behaved that way on national television, like dad, I don't know. I, I'll dad, be honest, man. Like to me, me that's pretty weak I don't, I don't find that like, it's not Sam Thompson. Like I remember Sam Thompson on the beach, like you know, on the bench, you know, like grabbing his shorts and stuff at the other team. We're <laughs> laughing our heads off about that. Uh, you know, guys do like the choking thing all the time. Here's what I'll say. I think there are two elements to it. I know people don't like hearing like the racial thing, but I gotta tell you something. Caitlin Clark was doing that all season. Nobody said anything about it. No, but it's, so here's, here's my it strikes problem me, with it. Well, let me finish my thought real quick. Yeah, it does yeah, strike do me as odd that somebody be like, well, Angel Reese did this once, right? As a black woman, white woman, Caitlin Clark does it the entire season. Nobody seems to have a problem with it. I think that's a fair observation to make. I it's think that a, is a very fair observation to make, frankly, because something doesn't happen for dozens of games. And then all of a sudden somebody has a problem with somebody else doing it once that, that strikes me as a little weird. The other thing is that these are women, like guys do this kind of stuff all the time, like pointing to a ring in a game. Like that is, again, that's not like an aggressive in your face kind of move. Like that's not Draymond green stepping over a dude. You know what I mean? Like this is, this this is the most weak tea thing possible. So first of all, I have no problem with ESPN, you know, putting that out there because the reasonable reaction to that would be like, so. <laughs> and the other thing is, is that I think, unfortunately, the response is predictable because people love getting that outrage machine worked up. They and do. Like, oh, this is the yes. worst thing in the world. This is terrible. People but are that, predictable. That, first of all, that's not on ESPN because they're, I, I mean, they're showing something that I think is objectively kind of cool, honestly. And then the other thing is that it's not on either uh, Caitlin Clark or Angel Reese because they're just doing stuff that everybody else does all the time. So for me, I just think people need to cool it. I think overall yeah. we need to like back away from, you know, the, the takes that the, the predictable takes that every corner is going to have and just go like whatever and ignore it because it's, it's just a part of the game. So I don't know, man, I, I do think there is a racial element to it particularly if somebody who was not, you know, a person of color was doing it the entire season and then one other person does it. And then it's like, Oh, well, this is the worst thing ever. But ultimately it's like, it's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. I, don't I think, think it's where I will challenge your premise uh, because I agree with the, I agree with the big picture. Um, yeah. I especially agree that there's a double standard between the men and the women. I, I think, yeah, uh, I think we hold the women to a different standard. Right, they're like, supposed to be like, demure. Like, they're they're supposed to be, right. you know, not, right. like guys do that stuff all the time. Yep, yep, hundred hundred percent agree with that. Uh, very much so. Um, the part where I would challenge your premise about the race uh, component is that I don't know that anyone knew, like, and I'm talking again about casual fans, people that watch mm -hmm. women's basketball every week. I'm sure did, you know that that. But like again, I as a casual fan had no idea that that's a regular thing that Caitlin Clark. Now, does if, okay, let's let's reverse it though. Do you think if Caitlin Clark was pointing to her ring in, a, in an Iowa win, do you think anybody would have said boo about it? I I, I wonder about that. I think that's a because I where, don't. That's where I really I, have, I think you have a fair you have a fair point. Um, and and again, where I think it became an issue is when that was the thing that the cameras caught and it got, you know, uh, it was the thing that launched a million tweets and so on. So 
Uh, I'll say this. I just think it's really unfortunate that's even a narrative because you just had a game in which almost 200 points were scored. Well, that's where I get national championship. Incredibly exciting to watch. Great players going at it. You know, team shooting like 50 plus percent from three. I mean, kicking butt. I mean, come on. Like that should be the that should be the narrative, not you know, goofy crap after the game that in every other situation, nobody seems to give a crap about. Well, that's the part where I, I do blame, I do blame the, the ESPNs of the world for yeah, yeah, that being fair. the thing that they chose to, you know, and I get it, you know, we're in the content business too, right? So I totally sure. get that, you know, when the content gods smile upon you, sometimes you just got to pick up the ball and run and yeah, clearly but you're it right. paid off and clearly it paid off, because, you know, and as economist uh, at heart, we talk about incentives all the time, right? So the incentive for ESPN is to absolutely stoke that, you know, the, the, these angel Reese, Caitlin Clark uh, thing and, and to mm-hmm. make it as salacious as possible. The, the incentives are absolutely that. Cause what happened is that tweet, uh, you know, with the gif of, of uh, Reese doing the, you can't see me thing from John Cena, like, <laughs> Again, that, that's, that got that, retweeted a bajillion times. Yeah. So, so yeah. Also yeah. objectively awesome. Like I, like, yeah. I'm so right. such a hard time caring about this. I'm a, I'm like, I'm a John cool. Cena fan. I, I can't. I yeah. can't lie. I stand for that. All right. Let's uh, let's put a pin in this for a moment because I want to bring in our our special guest for this episode of the Dubcast, Dan Hope, the the dean of uh, the uh, Ohio State football beat writers. <laughs> Uh, the man himself has been embedded into Ohio State's spring football practices from the get-go, hasn't missed a second of the action. Dan, welcome to the Dubcast. Uh, we've been talking about uh, college basketball for a moment. I'm going to let you refrain from joining in our take fest because I really want to get to the heart of one question that's been nagging at me all off-season long. Uh, and I think you may be the person best positioned to answer it, and that is, is Ohio State football going to be good or bad this season? Well, I think they're going to be good. I mean, the question is how good, right? I mean, that's always the question at Ohio State. Is, you mean it's not they, as simple as I paint it? <laughs> are they are they good enough to be, a, you know, they're, do I think they'll be good enough to be a top five team, a, a Big Ten college ball playoff contender? I do. Will they be good enough to be a national championship contender? I think that remains to be determined. And I certainly, I think, you know, there's a few key areas that are going to determine that one of course being of quarterback play uh kyle mccord devin brown who are still uh competing for that starting job neither one has really uh solidified themselves yet as that starter so i think you know that's question number one is you know we've seen how high the standard of quarterback play has been at ohio state for the past several years with cj stroud justin fields and dwayne haskins if Either Kyle McCord or Devin Brown can reach that same standard, but Ohio State's chances of being a serious championship contender increase exponentially. I think the second area you look at is the offensive line because there's still uh, some uncertainty there. You know, particularly at right tackle, that's a, that's a big question mark right, right now. You know, Josh Fryer looks like the front runner at left tackle. Carson Hinsman looks like the front runner at center, but. Those are both unproven guys as well. So you look at, you know, three really important spots on that offensive line with both tackles and center. You've got some uncertainty there. I think that's going to go a long way toward determining whether this team can be a a national championship caliber team. And then, of course, the third one we got to look at is the defense, because obviously you look at recent years, uh, the defense is the reason why Ohio State hasn't won another national championship since 2014. It's been, you know, the recurring issue that 
the, the defense has just not performed at a national cha- championship caliber level. I mean, particularly uh, the last three years, and I'd say really four of the last five years, the, the defense has uh, significantly underperformed, uh, particularly in, in the biggest games of the season. And so, you know, can that defense now that all the returning players have had a year in Jim Knowles' system, can they uh, take the next step and can they maximize all the talent they have and become the elite defense they should be capable of being? I think there's reasons for optimism, but I also think we kind of, at this point, have to see it before we can really believe it. Well, I mean, the question I was going to ask was about the the big Triscuit uh, nickname. I want to know what's going on with that, but I, I guess that's tangentially related to uh, to quarterback play. So maybe we can start there. What? So what have you seen? Reports, all that kind of stuff. Who who do you believe going into the eventual spring game here? Who do you think kind of has the? I know they haven't separated themselves, but who has stood out to you the most? I would pick Kyle McCord to be the starting quarterback right now. I think based on what we've seen in the two scrimmages, I think he has been the the more consistent overall, the better performer in, in those scrimmages. And so, you know, if, if I was putting out a depth chart projection right now, I, I would pick Kyle McCord to be the starting quarterback. Like I said, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I didn't come away from either scrimmage blown away by Kyle McCord. I mean, I kind of came away from both scrimmages going – neither of these guys looks like cj stroud yet so i think there's uh, uh room to grow there and i think you need to see one of them you know grow and, and take their game to another level but from what we've been able to see kyle looks like the guy who's closer to that to me looking at the offense kind of holistically i've i've been of the mind for a couple of years now that Going into the season, I'm not overly worried about Ohio State's offense because Ryan Day's never given me a reason to think his offenses offenses won't be good enough to get the job done. And and I think for me, the reasons Ohio State hasn't achieved its goals over the past couple of years has been largely because of defensive deficiencies, not offensive efficiencies. Uh, is is that is that a fair read of things? And and if so. Does it feel like this version of the defense, regardless who ends up, uh, this version of the offense, that is, regardless of who ends up slinging the rock, uh, should they be competent enough, capable enough to hold up that that standard that we've seen over the, the, the past few years? I'm not necessarily asking will they be as good or better than C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields and so on, but it's been a pretty good succession of offenses that are, are one of the best in the country season after season after season. Any reason to think that this won't fall in that same kind of tradition? You know, I mean, certainly I, I would think that it it's more likely than not, but Ohio State's going to have a great offense again because, you know, you look at the skill positions aside from a quarterback. I mean, the wide receiver core is going to be best in the country with Marvin Harrison Jr., Mecca, Buka, Jules Fleming, Xavier Johnson. And, you know, you're seeing guys like Carnell Tate and Jaden Boward flash this spring. Uh, they've got an embarrassment of Richards there at that receiver position. So that's going to make life a lot easier on the quarterback. Uh, you got Kate Stover coming back, starting tight end. And then, I mean, running back, they're, they're loaded at running back. I mean, they had injuries there last year they had to deal with. But you, you look at what that room could be if everybody's healthy with Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, Chip Trainum, Dallin Hayden. I mean, that's the deepest running back room in the country. And so they're, they're loaded with weapons, which means it's going to be really hard for, for any defense 
uh, to really slow them down. Like I said, I mean, you're always going to have uncertainty with a new quarterback, but we've seen before, you know, there was that uncertainty when CJ Stroud was a new starter. There was that uncertainty when Justin Fields been a new starter. Like you said, Ryan Day's track record would suggest they're, they're going to be just fine there. I, I do. The, the offensive line does give me a little bit more concern just because I think some of it, concerns of the offensive line there's, there's always going to be concerns of an offensive line when you're re- replacing more than half the starters but i think this goes a little bit deeper than that because of the fact that i think their recruiting particularly toward the end of the griggs to draw era was not quite up to ohio state standards on the offensive line and so you're not looking at it and going oh there's three new starters but these guys were all five-star blue chips that are sure things there's a little bit more projection with the guys who are going to be stepping into those roles. And so I I do think the offensive line, at least in my mind is a legitimate concern that I look at and say, if anything is going to derail this offensive train we've seen from Ohio state in recent years, that it could be that offensive line. But I, I, I do think that, you know, there is plenty of reason to be confident about what Ohio state's going to be able to do offensively because one, they're still absolutely loaded with skill position talent. And two, we've seen Ryan Day prove over and over again that he can feel the lead offenses. Well, I want to talk about um, coaching for real quick. Have you seen, and I know it's early in the year and obviously early even in spring, you know, in some ways, um, have you seen a different approach from the coaches at certain positions or just as an overall mentality? I mean, it, when you get so close to a national championship, it, it almost feels like, like you can go one of two directions. Like, all right, we're doing really well we don't need to change what we're doing all that much or we've got to have a different approach there's just something that we got to do to get us over the top do, do you see any differences in how practices are run or you know just mentality of coaches that kind of stuff well one thing i have noticed is it does seem like ryan day is moving around more in practices when you mm-hmm. went to practices in past years you typically saw him you know with the quarterbacks most of the time with the offense most of the time like i i noticed at one point when, you know, I was watching practice on Saturday, but at one point, you know, I think it was like, you know, the, the linebackers were doing a drill and he's over there helping coach them. So I think he is trying to take a more holistic view this spring and, and trying to, uh, you know, get more involved of all areas of a team rather than being, you know, as offensive focused as he's been. Now, again, I think the question is, is, is it still going to be that way in September when, when it gets closer to the actual season and it's time to actually put in a game plan and go coach a game on the field. Is he going to go back to his baby? Is he, is he going to go back to wanting to be all hands on deck on the offense? Or is he going to be able to take that step back and, and trust Brian Hartline and the rest of his offensive assistants to, you know, run the show there with, you know, he, he's going to have input in the offense, no matter what, you know, Brian Hartline has said that, but he wants Ryan day to continue to have a lot of input in the offense. So that's going to be the case no matter what, but I think, you know, the question is, can he step back a little bit and in turn spend more time, you know, with the defense and could that be a good thing considering some of the struggles we've, we've seen on defense. I think he's trying to do that, but I think it's still probably to be determined to an extent of when these actual season rolls around, what's that going to look like? Looking then specifically to the defense, uh, you know, and I kind of gave the the premise earlier, and I think this, this ties in with what you, you were just talking about in terms of coaching and the approach, Uh, you know, they 
kind of blew things up with bringing in Jim Knowles and, and revamping the defensive staff. Now you get that close to the national championship last year. And again, it was those big plays of the Michigan game and, and the, the, they lost to Georgia, and, you know, those big plays it, it felt like, and uh, that, that really were the, the death knell for the team's chances of winning a big 10 and a national championship title. We d- diagnosed, you know, all the different reasons for why those plays were able to happen. Do you, do you feel like with, as you alluded to earlier, the return of some of these veteran players, another year in Jim Knowles' system, his teaching, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are they making the kinds of strides? Are you able to tell at this stage if they're making the kinds of strides that will allow them to be good enough? They don't have to be the 85 Bears, but to be good enough to hang with the best in the country. Yeah, you know, it's it's always hard to tell when you're watching a scrimmage because you can look at it and say, man, the defensive line looked great today. But then you go, okay, is that the defensive line great or is that the offensive line being shaky? And <laughs> right. we've heard a lot this spring about the DBs are getting more hands on balls. Okay, is that because the DBs have gotten better or is it because they're not going against CJ Stroud anymore? Is it because Ameko Buka and Julian Fleming aren't practicing this spring? So, you know, I think there's... But the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and all of those things where some of it is the defense making strides and getting better. And some of it is the, the offense is still growing right now. And they, the, the offense is not quite where it was at this time last year because they don't have a returning starting quarterback. So uh, I, I think, you know, there's, there's probably somewhere in the middle, but I, I do think there is certainly reason for optimism that the defense is going to make a leap in year two, because for one, if you look at Jim Knowles's track record, it's always taken him time to develop everywhere he's been. And obviously at Ohio state, that timeline is expected to accelerate much more quickly than it is at Oklahoma state or at Duke. But if you just look at his track record in the past, typically, you know, year one, his defense has struggled. Typically they've, they've, they've gotten better each year after that. And so I think, with those guys having another year in the system, and it's, it's, it, it, there is a lot of returning talent on the defense. I mean, you you know, up front, you know, you've got, you know, JT and Jack Sawyer at defensive end. You've got Ty Leak, Mike Hall, Ty Hamilton. Those are all really talented guys that have played a lot of football. You've got both of your starting linebackers returning in Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. Uh, I, I think the cornerbacks are going to be much improved this year. I think, you know, Denzel Burke coming back, you know, hearing really good things about him. Davidson and Benosin, we're hearing really good things about him. Uh, I think Jordan Hancock being healthy, Jair Brown having year of experience. I, I think they've got a pretty good core at corner. So that's a position where I, I, I expect to see improvement. I think, you know, safety is probably the biggest question mark in my mind right now. And a lot of that goes back to what we saw in those last two games of the season, where I think the safeties were the clear weak link of the defense in those biggest games of the season. And so uh, Ohio State certainly needs better play there. And I still think, you know, there's some question marks there. You know, I expect Leif and Ransom to be a starter. Uh, you know, it sounds like Josh Proctor right now is the likely starter at free safety. But, you know, we've seen throughout his career that uh, he's been pretty inconsistent. So can he finally put it all together as a a, a six-year senior? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, nickel safety, that, that position still kind of being sorted out there between Cam Martinez and uh, Jihad Carter, who you know suffered an injury on Saturday, which doesn't sound like it's serious, but you know still could potentially sideline him for the rest of spring. And so uh, I still think safety's probably the position on defense where they've got the most to work through right now. I think they got a lot of talent there, so I think that's the good thing. I think they've got six or seven guys at that 
safety position they could potentially play, but they've got to find three guys they can really rely on and obviously need those guys to perform better than last year's core did in the biggest games of the season. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, you list off a lot of guys, but is there anybody that Ohio State fans in general might not be super aware of or familiar with that, you know, really going to show up once the games actually start, do you think? That will surprise people. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, st- starting up front, you know, I know, you know, you know, Ty Hamilton's a guy that a lot of people are, are really high on and mm-hmm. obviously started uh, last year for a lot of games, but I think he's still not a guy who's uh, necessarily a, a, a well-known name among people who aren't diehard fans, but you know, he's a guy that I know a lot of people, you know, inside the Woody, you know, really like and are really high on and think that he's somebody who's capable of, of being a major impact player for them this year. So, you know, he's a guy that I'm watching up front, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a back end. Uh, you know, I think, I know obviously Davison Igbenosin's getting a lot of uh, attention right now, but yeah, I know I'm interested to see, you know, can a guy like a Jair Brown make an impact, whether that's at corner or potentially even as a nickel, because he's been getting some reps inside in the slot as well. So, you know, there's a guy that I'm, I'm watching, you know, certainly I think, you know, it, it's safety. I mean, you know, Sonny Styles is a guy that a lot of people are excited to see play. And based on what we heard last week, sounds like, you know, probably not going to be a starter, but maybe they're looking at him as more of a role player kind of guy. But, you know, I certainly think, you know, it's it's intriguing to think about the different things they could do with a guy like Sonny, who has kind of a linebacker body type, but safety athleticism. And so I'm interested to see, too, with a guy like Sonny Styles, um, you know, with a guy like CJ Hicks, you know, can they find roles for, for those guys that, you know, can potentially bring some different wrinkles to the defense <clears throat> that Ohio State didn't have last year? As we wrap up our time together, Dan, and I would encourage folks to, if they're not already subscribed to Real Pond Wednesdays, to tune in. You're going to have a full breakdown of of all of this and more on your podcast. So I'd encourage people to subscribe. You can do that anywhere you get your favorite podcasts or, of course, find it each week on 11warriors.com. But as we wrap up our time here together on the Dubcast, if you had to boil down what you've seen so far through spring practices and as we get inch ever closer to the spring game here. If you had to boil this down to two, maybe three key takeaways that you would want the audience to know from your coverage of, of spring ball, wrap it up for us. And the two or three you know, big takeaways that, that you've got kind of on your whiteboard. Yeah. I think number one, I'd say that they're a work in progress. I think there's uh, definitely, you know, areas right now that uh, Ohio state you know, needs to get better at wherever that be quarterback wherever that be uh, off- offensive line and i think you know it's it's natural for things to be a, a work in progress at this time of the year and so you know i think you know you're, you're going to see things that are good you're going to see things that are not so good but i think you know that that's to be expected in the spring and there's still uh you know half the spring to go here and then you know 30 practices before the season starts in September. And so I think, you know, everything's a work in progress. And just because somebody had uh, one bad day while the media was there, doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're, you know, going to be going to be bad when the season starts. So I think, you know, I'd start with that. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I think, you know, we, we have seen a lot of good things from the defensive line. I think, you know, in both scrimmages, it's really been noticeable, you know, how much the, the defensive line is making plays. And so, you know, again, I think, 
you know, offensive line that might be a concern, but you also got to factor in that, you know, they're not always going against the starters, you know, sometimes they're going against uh, the second team guys. So, you know, it's not always coming against the guys who are going to be the starters, but uh, I, I do think just the frequency with which we're seeing the defensive line uh, making plays in practice, I think, you know, maybe an understated part of Ohio state's defensive struggles the past few years is they just haven't wreaked as much havoc up front as we saw back in the years of chase young and the Bosa brothers. And so if that defensive line can get back to really being a force up front, I think that can make a big difference for the defense. So that's certainly something uh, that stood out to me. And then, you know, I'd have to say too, just, you know, the overall talent that this team has at wide receiver uh, you see a guy like Carnell Tate out there. I mean, he, he legitimately, you could make a case was the best player in the scrimmage on Saturday. And he's a true freshman and he's only out there taking first team reps because Marvin's only taking limited reps in the scrimmages and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming aren't out there. And so I just think that embarrassment of riches that they have at wide receiver is something that continues to stand out. Dan Hope is, as I say, the king of the beat. Uh, appreciate all of your insights into spring football. Look forward to seeing uh, what what else you bring down the pike here over the next two weeks uh, between now and the spring game, and and we get uh, get a few more glimpses of what this team has to offer uh, heading into summer. Uh, Dan Hope, again, as I mentioned, you can can listen to his podcast drops every Wednesday. Real Pod Wednesdays, uh, find it at elevenwarriors.com or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. All right, Johnny, let's get uh, get to our favorite segment of the program, uh, you know, one that uh, I know the audience waits for with bated breath each week. Mm-hmm. That is, of course, uh, Ask Us Anything, which is, uh, as always, my cue to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com. Hats, T-shirts, stickers, uh, gifts galore, everything for the discerning fan of the local sports franchise you can find at drygoods.11warriors.com. Reach deep into the mailbag, my friend. What have we this week? We have a great slate of questions this week, and I remind you that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com, and you can ask us literally anything because we like to answer literally anything. This first question is a good example of that from Joshua F., who says, what are some of your favorite dishes that your parents and grandparents used to make for you? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good one. And I'm going to, I'm going to drive some people insane apparently, because every time I bring this up, it's like, I'm a crazy person, but I want to start with something relatively normal because (laughs) I was at my grandparents a lot as a kid. Um, My, my grandmother and grandfather on my dad's side are both from Kentucky. Um, And so we had a lot of fried chicken and a lot of homemade fries. And I always think, and I've always thought that my grandmother's uh, fried chicken homemade fries were better than anyone's on the planet. Yeah. So I thought she did an incredible job with that back in the day. Um, my That doesn't seem so controversial, Johnny. That one's that one's not the weird one. <laughs> and I've told people about this recently. I didn't think, I mean, you know, kids, have I mentioned Pepsi milk on the podcast? Oh, uh, I feel like I would remember if you had. All right. Well, so I brought this up in casual conversation at work recently. People are looking at me like I'm a space alien. I'm like, kids eat and drink weird stuff all the time. Now I'm not hating on my parents' culinary skills whatsoever. My mom makes an incredible lasagna and meatloaf. Love that. Fantastic. Um, but when I was a kid, there were two things that I, I really, that was like my comfort food when I couldn't sleep at night or I was really hungry or something like that. One was um, 
soft boiled eggs and bread. So basically just soft boiled an egg, mash it with some bread and milk and mix it all up into kind of this mash and, you know, put some salt and pepper in it. And that's, you know, that was just a normal kind of thing. I like that a lot. Uh, but the other thing was Pepsi milk, which is like two thirds, two parts milk and one part Pepsi. And it was served, you know, like at room temperature. Oh. And I never, I was like, okay, that's a weird thing for a kid to drink, but like, it's not insane. And every time I bring it up to people, they're like, you're, you're, you're a psychopath. Like what, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. I was just a dumb little kid. I would drink anything. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Okay. People have like root beer floats all the time. Nobody says boo about it, but I say Pepsi milk and people just lose their mind. So I don't know. But anyway, those were the things that I would have as comfort foods. <laughs> I, I mean, I got to say like the Pepsi milk thing, when you bring it up, I, I can see why people uh have questions shall we say uh the thing that's i was very... like five you put well, it i mean come on but, but, five-year-olds but, will eat literally any weird thing that you well i'm i'm gonna support you here on this because i remember uh as a kid so my grandpa hen eyes was what 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 you might lovingly refer to as a cut up or a card he was very sure. or, ornery would be a word that he would have used to describe himself yeah. i'm sure and I remember going to his house and I was on a kick where I liked Dr. Pepper. And I remember going to grandpa's house and saying, did he have any Dr. Pepper? And he said, yeah, sure. I got Dr. Pepper. And he took out, you know, Coke or Pepsi or whatever cola they had. And he literally <laughs> put some pepper in it. Like, like, Oh yeah, there you go. Shaker of, of black pepper. And I, you know, as a, an idiot five-year-old child, I was like, okay, thanks grandpa. And <laughs> drank it. Uh, I remember one other time. Mm, very peppery. This Dr. He pepper. made, uh, there was something else, and it, I'm trying to remember what he called it. It was I'm going to say Big Red, but I feel like that's an actual red flavor. Big Red pop. is an actual drink, yeah. But he made something like some other like soda concoction that he made for me one time, and you know it was just a bunch of stuff that he had in the refrigerator that got poured together. You know, no, it's fantastic. Uh, and and like you say, we're, you know, kids are dumb, right? We'll 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 do anything. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. Hey, it was, I'm sure I'm it was sure. delicious. I'm sure you loved it. Uh, and and I'm sure that it was hilarious to him, uh, you know, because yeah. and, and Grandpa, he was amazing. Now, the real answer to the question actually also still stay with with uh, Grandma and Grandpa Henneyes because they um, in both both sides of my house. Um, I don't remember Grandpa Vance as much. He passed when I was when I was pretty young, um, but it was apparently also very skilled in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. so uh, a lot of great cooks on both sides of the house, including both grandfathers, my dad and mom, both great, great cooks as well. Uh, I loved, loved, loved um, the baked macaroni and cheese. Like anytime we had a family get together, macaroni and cheese is to this day one of my culinary weaknesses um, because that it, it just evokes this nostalgic thing from home. And of course, you know, when you typically go to like a restaurant or something, it's it's not what I would call a proper baked mac and cheese. It's, you know, a cheese sauce over macaroni noodles, right? The mm -hmm. difference, you know, like the way we make macaroni is, of course, you boil the pasta and, and you're layering in the dish almost like you're doing a lasagna, right? You're having a layer of noodles. You're having a layer of cheese. We would typically sprinkle some flour and salt and pepper between each layer. Pats of butter. There's usually like, I don't know, 18 sticks of butter in one of our... <laughs> Yeah. dishes of of macaroni and cheese and then you just keep repeating those layers right and you know the top is a solid layer of cheese shredded shredded cheddar typically and you pour milk over it like the milk kind of fills up to the top of the baking dish and then you bake that at 350 for i don't know 45 minutes to an hour something along those lines and of course what happens is those noodles right the cheese melts the butter melts and in it you know kind of conforms with uh the milk and the noodles absorb 
like that liquid and it just you slice you know out like a casserole or That's a slice good. of lasagna or something oh my god it's amazing grandpa henny's bread pudding is the other thing and the thing mm, i will yeah. say about that is that when grandpa passed for some reason the bread pudding recipe died with him and and no none of my aunts or uncles no one seems to have grandpa's bread pudding recipe and so i have spent you know pushing 35 years now searching for something that came close to the bread pudding i remember as a child um and and i would say most bread puddings fall short uh woefully short but i i gotta enjoy the journey <laughs> the, search, <laughs> the search continues uh i just but that those two dishes you want to talk about things that i just loved 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 um and still do and and it's you know it's good i like bread yeah, pudding good yeah, stuff i'm a fan all right great question from joshua f yeah well done good question um next one here this is from kevin <clears throat> he says guys does the women team beating uconn justify their season even though they lost virginia tech i think they had a great season honestly yeah. i think uconn win is a great win and you know getting to a place where a women's basketball team ohio state women's basketball team hasn't been in several decades, I think that's that's a hell of a success. So absolutely, I would have loved to see them in the national championship game or win a national championship. But first of all, there's some really great teams out there, and secondly, you know, the goal isn't always to win a national championship. Sometimes the goal is just improvement, and they made a big time improvement. So I I think it absolutely is a success, and um, it totally justifies their season. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, season to me was an unqualified success. Uh, yes, there was that that stretch in the middle there that was painful and, and ugly and whatever, but you know what teams teams have that basketball is a streaky game, even within mm -hmm. games. Right. You know, look at it and look at how many times we said during the men's basketball tournament, like watching Ohio state, win the games it won in the tournament, how did it lose the games that it lost? You know, because when the team was good, it was pretty good. And when it was bad, yeah. it was awful. Uh, I felt like the women's team was, was, better more consistently you know than the men's team were obviously their end results were better but i and i can also see where ohio state goes from here right like i can look to the future and think you know mcguff's got him a good thing going and and i i have faith in the future of the program based on what i saw this season yeah i agree i i think the future is right and and maybe it and it's less about whether the team justified you know their season and more you know mcguff justified his position um, and I think the answer would be yes. I mean, this is the culmination of a lot of things that a lot of people want. By the way, this is another one from Joshua F. Um, says, talking about another Buckeye declaring for the NBA draft had me think about how surprised they am the consistency of year over year that this program has in producing guys that declare the draft, uh, despite where the program is nationally. Um, one of the things he asks is, is, is it is his shock at Ohio State's ability to do this misplaced? And should he be expecting this sort of thing because it's Ohio State, or are we just as surprised as he is? No, I, I'm I mean, not. I, I'm not particularly surprised, honestly, because the thing is, is that all the for all the knocks on Holtman, um, it's not about whether or not you know he can get talent to come to Ohio State. It's whether he can actually you know keep that talent here, or at least do something with it once it's here. And the truth is, is that there are a lot of guys who. You know, if if the NBA and, and the NCAA didn't have the the one year rule where you got to be in college for a year, they they would just go straight to the draft. And we've had a number of those guys at Ohio State. Um, so it doesn't surprise me because those are the best players in the country. And, uh, you know, that's who you're trying to recruit. So and Holtman's, like I said, done a pretty good job of getting them in here. He just hasn't been able to form cohesive teams around them. And that's that's the issue. So I'm not shocked by it at all, honestly. Yeah, I would 100% uh, sign on to that. I, it, it doesn't surprise me because his recruiting has been excellent. 
and I think it also gives credence to the criticisms uh, of him on the development side of the absolutely uh, of the equation. Now, you know, uh, I'm I'm admittedly very curious. You know, uh, friends like Kyle Jones uh, have me really wondering. Okay, what does next year look like? Is it possible that they will? you know, turn a corner, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know. God knows it can't be much worse. <laughs> yeah. Was it times this season, but uh, you know, let's stay tuned. Time will tell, but no, it, it doesn't surprise me that we see guys going uh, and, and, and having meaningful careers in in the next level, whether that's in the NBA or abroad somewhere. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so this last one here is from our good friend Alvin, who wants to know, quite simply, if you join the circus, what is your act? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm big enough. I would have to be uh, like a strong man, or, or I think you do that, or maybe. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I could go do that today, but if I was going to have to pick an act, it sure as hell ain't going to be the high wire or the trapeze <laughs> at my size. It's going to have to be, uh, you know. But what I'd like to do, and it's a shame because they don't have this at the circus anymore. The animal rights um, activists have, have kind of ruined the circus in this regard, like. With, specific to Ringling Brothers and Barnabas, I want to work with the elephants. I mm. would, if 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 money were no object, in other words, that what the job paid was irrelevant, and you could just go and do whatever job you wanted to do, and it had nothing to do with your ability to live the lifestyle to which you were come accustomed. I would go absolutely work at the zoo in the elephant barn, or or go uh, in the hypothetical to the circus and be an elephant trainer, manager, caregiver. I just think elephants are amazing. Um, they, they are, yeah. Elephants, cows, and dogs. Like those are my, those are my animals. Um, and I, the best birthday gift I ever got the stunning Mrs. Vance, uh, got me a day a behind the scenes pass to go and give an elephant a bath at the Columbus zoo and that uh, was one of the most meaningful gifts I ever received and one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, right, you're you're going to do what, like an Evil Knievel act? Uh, uh, I'm too much of a wuss for anything like that. <laughs> I, the problem the, it, it, the problem is what you pointed out. I mean, you know, car or circuses have shifted away from the animal stuff, which I think probably wisely. I can't imagine most of them are being treated super well, but uh, they've, they've moved to the more acrobatic kind of stuff, which is entertaining and fun. Also completely out of my wheelhouse. I am not a, yeah, you're not signing up for Cirque du Soleil kind of, no, kind of deal. Not a, not a flexible human being. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I could pull that off. I think I could maybe be like a ringleader though. I think I could be an MC. I think I could probably do that. I think I'd get in front and just kind of stand in place and, you know, announce to people what's about to happen. I think that's something that I might be capable of doing. Um, but if I, it's not like an act, like if I actually have to do something. God, I don't, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think being ringmaster is an acceptable answer. In fact, I'm kind of, a yeah. little I didn't think of it because I think you'd be a great ringmaster. I think you'd be fantastic I, ringmaster. in like elementary school or middle school, one or the other. Um, and the story of how this came about is too long and irrelevant to the question, but, but I actually played PT Barnum in, oh, fantastic. in, in like a That's skit. Cool. Uh, and like went and got a tailcoat and top hat and the whole nine yards. Like I had to go to the tuck store and rent almost a morning suit, uh, to pull it off. We added some embellishments to make it, you know, more circus and less funereal, but it was, uh, it was a ball, you know? And I mean, PT Barnum is a really interesting character. 
Uh, mm-hmm. if, if, if I read a lot of biographies of him when I was in school. Uh, you know what? I think I'd be the guy to sew one animal onto another dead animal to create <laughs> a fake third animal. <laughs> the sucker born every minute. My yeah, friend. I think I could do that. I yeah. think I could do the fake taxidermy. I'd be good at that. There you go. I love it. That would be that would be my that would be my act. <laughs> well played, Elvin. Good question. Well, there you go. Yeah, fantastic question. Thank you. And that's ask us anything for this week. Great questions as always. Thank you for uh, sending them in. Our final segment of the show may as well be an appendage to ask us anything because it's me asking you a question, Johnny. I yep. know as uh, as a fan of the Cincinnati Reds that you are excited about the. Red legs um, making well, it to the October Classic uh, yeah. this this fall and, okay. and bringing home a pennant. Let's to be careful. Let's the Queen let's City. Not get too crazy. <laughs> so, but I did want to ask you because I I was reading some interesting chatter among our colleagues about how different watching baseball is. I mean, I'm talking about the TV watching experience. How different the TV baseball watching experience is, or we could be talking about it in arena as far as that goes. But the overall experience of watching a major league baseball game, how much better it is this season. Thanks to one simple change for people who are not uh, steeped in America's national pastime, explain the change to us and why it has so vastly improved the watching of baseball. Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's the pitch clock. Pitch clock actually has, has been around for a minute. It had been utilized at various levels of the minor leagues. And if you'd gone to a Clippers game, if you're in Columbus or, you know, going to Dayton dragons or anybody else, uh, you might have noticed that, and it. By it's the way, kind under, of wild. underrated night out on the town in Columbus. Oh yeah, going to the great, fantastic, fantastic experience. Go and ahead. by the way, by the way, want want to remind people that you can get free Clippers passes at your local Columbus Metropolitan Library with the library card. I did I not know that. Check that out. Yes, you can. You can get uh, two passes for adults, I think, up to four kids, and they're not, you know, they're not the 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 you know the A seats, but you're getting some nice seats. Cause it's, there's great seats all over the place. So yeah, I, uh, I recommend checking that out in addition to all the other culture passes that they have, but that, that is my tip. If you're interested in, you know, a, a relatively cheap out, a cheap night out on the town. Um, but yeah, so they've been doing it at the minor league level for a little bit. The pitch clock is set at 15 seconds. If nobody's on base, uh, 20 seconds, if there is a man on base and the, you know, baseball stats and, and all that kind of stuff is kind of predicated on this idea that, you have so many reps you have, you have all this accumulation of things. So we're relatively early in the season. We've had about 50, 60 games played so far, but right now the average length of a baseball game to watch a baseball game is about two and a half hours. Whereas prior to this season, the average length of baseball game last season was about three hours, about three hours and change. So knocking off a half hour of game time just with this one rule change, which again is a pretty significant rule change. It does a lot for, I mean, it it definitely changes how how pitchers approach what they do. It's a huge change for them. Um, but that's that that I think that one little thing has made the game unbelievably more watchable and entertaining because it's just so much faster paced and it it just it's boom, boom, boom. And a lot of baseball purists aren't a big fan of it. Um, but honestly, I think it was a change that had to be made for the sake of the um, for the sake of the watchability of the game and the future viability of the game, because you, you can't have three and a half, four hour games. You, you just can't keep doing that because it's not it ain't going to work on television that way. Um, people don't want to consume that kind of sport. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a super positive thing. So and, I'm excited about that. That leads to a logical follow up question, right. which is if you were going to make uh, one 
change to the rules uh, around our other favorite sport, let's say college football as a relevant example, uh-huh. what one change might you make? Let's say I'm making you commissioner of college football for a day, Johnny Ginner. What, what would you change to yield an uh, equivalent improvement in the college football watching experience? Well, I think part of it is what is your goal, right? Because I do think that college football, I mean, if you, if you're watching it, part of it can be a pretty drawn out experience sometimes, especially, you know, if Ohio state's beating up on a Mac team and, you know, it's the third quarter and you've entered into this, as Douglas Adams put it, the long, dark tea time of the soul, right? Where you're just kind of like, you've run out of useful things to do while you're watching this thing, but you're kind of committed to it. And you're just going to sit there for another hour and a half. And you're like, oh my God. Um, I, I I think the thing is, so the, the goal in baseball, of course, was to shorten the game. The goal in baseball was we got to make this quicker, more watchable and passable. And I wrote a little bit about this actually earlier in the year um, where they're talking about some of the proposed changes in college football. Um, I think really the only way to make a real significant impact on the actual pace of the game is to just basically institute a running clock and being like, all right, that's it. That's how we're going to do it. I I think because of how football works in general, I don't think that's feasible. I don't think that's something that you could actually institute. Um, but that's the kind of thing that would have the same sort of impact, I believe, as what they've done with the pitch count or the pitch clock in, in baseball. That that would be on the same level of um, uh, change. That would be the same impact. So, you know, for me, I, I think what bothers me most watching a, a college football game is probably like excessive timeouts and things like that. And I would also say like in a situation where, you know, like icing the kicker, that kind of stuff. That's just, it's like, okay, that's, that's, I think we're done with that. I mean, I know some people enjoy like the strategy of it and whatnot, but I do think there are some things where if you look at the the time wasting element, a lot of the stuff can be pared back a little bit that has been included to like, you know, get things. So another, another thing that I would recommend, and this isn't even a rule change, it's a broadcasting change, which is like, you don't need to put in a commercial break you know, after every punt, you don't need to do, you know what I'm saying? But yes. the problem is, is that that's not a rule change. That's a problem with broadcasting and that's yeah. not going to be fixable in the same way that like a, a clock would. So yeah. that's that was, what bothers me on this. Yeah. Level. And that's one of those things we talked about earlier in the off season uh, that, that, you know, even with some things that college football is trying to do uh, to speed up the pace of play or, you know, shorten the time broadcast is not, yeah, the, the broadcast partners are going to milk college football for every, yeah. So every you can it's worth. that's the thing. You can speed up the game as much as you want, but as long as teams still have to punt, they're gonna the, the broadcasters are really going to want to get their money's worth. So they're like, well, this is a three and a half hour game. We want to make sure that there's going to be you know X amount of commercial breaks that we can put in. Baseball has that built in, right? They're incredibly predictable. You know how long exactly each break's going to be. Um, that's they don't care if the the innings are faster because the the commercial breaks are still the same. So that doesn't bother broadcasters for for baseball. Um, but for football, I don't know that you can make that same change and and you know have the broadcasters and advertisers still be happy. Yeah, and I think the other you know piece of the puzzle, the other or the other sport that kind of falls in this too is talking about basketball. The the fact that the final sixty seconds of basketball games takes about twenty eight minutes. Oh gosh, yeah. And, you know, there again, I, I'm not sure how exactly we we fix this, but if some genius comes up with an answer, maybe it's just the Elam ending like they do in the basketball tournament. Uh, yeah. 
you know, maybe that's the way to go, but there, there's definitely some fatigue that sets in there late in a close contest. Right. Um, so, all right, good show this week, my friend, uh, and, and I hope everyone enjoyed the national title game uh, and the men's tournament. May it have been as entertaining as the women's final four Man, was. I think I got to say real quick, I, I know, I, you know, I think this has just been an incredible men's tournament up yes. and down. I mean, all the way up and through the final four, you know what I mean? Like sometimes like, okay, well, we've had all these upsets. Maybe these games won't be so great, but obviously that wasn't the case with San Diego state and FAU. That was an incredible finish. I just hope that we have a great game tonight. And then similarly, uh, I don't want to see UConn win another national championship. I just, well, I really go. don't. I I don't think that this tournament deserves that. Not to say that they aren't a great team and have done really well in the tournament. Just this is the tournament that deserves a San Diego state national champion. So you, you I just, you just want to keep on hating hater. I do, but I all, you know, it's, it's also, I just want the weirdest outcome possible because this is a weird fun tournament <laughs> and I don't want it to revert back to the mean at the very end. Let's, let's keep that goofiness going. So hopefully by the time this gets, you know, actually publishing out there into the, the ether that, um, you know, we get an SDSU national championship in men's basketball. Well, you know, I figure uh, when it when when FAU fell out, you know, that was your ultimate Cinderella type of opportunity here. I don't know if SDSU truly fits in that. Uh, or, or I don't know, or man. Not, that, that's but... I mean, come on. Like, if you look, here's what I would do. If you're going through two or three years now and you're looking at all the men's national champions, you're like, okay, Duke, UConn, you know, you're going through all these teams, Kansas. Okay. And then you see SDSU. That's going to be hilarious. That is going to be completely unexpected for somebody three or four years down the line. Like, oh my God, San Diego State won a national champion. That's awesome. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. And friends, we'll be back next week with more conversations about spring football, uh, anything else happening in the world of sports, and of course, your questions and ask us anything. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11th Dutch Show.